Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 119, verses 97 to 104. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insights than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my path, my feet from every evil path, so that I may obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Today I will be reading from Timothy 3, verses, 2 Timothy, verses 3, 14 through 17. You can find this on page 1179 of your pew Bibles. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those who, from whom you learned it and how from infancy you know, have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through, through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. In uh, two days, Betty and I celebrate 30 years of marriage together. Woo! Thank you. Just so that you know, I was 15 years old when I was married. <laughs> And as sort of a little splurge to celebrate this grand occasion, Betty and I recently, just a couple of uh, weeks ago, went to Paris for 10 days, which is a fabulous trip. And we saw so much of Paris, experiencing amazing sights and tastes and all the sights, the history of that beautiful city. And we were walking all over. On one of our walks, uh, we came to this very small little roundabout, and in the middle was this little park, and in the middle of that was the statue of some historical personage, Voltaire, the 18th century French philosopher. Now, Voltaire has one of these classic quotes that he made about scripture. Years ago, he predicted that the Bible would largely become a museum piece within 100 years and be replaced by all sorts of philosophies. He said, 100 years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. Um, but today, the Bible remains the most popular book, the most successful literary project in history. Did you know, each year, over 100 million Bibles are either bought, sold, or given away. 100 million. The Bible actually is the best-selling book week in, week out. It is excluded from all those best-selling book lists that you see because 
It would sort of be boring, wouldn't it? Best-selling book last week, Bible. Best-selling book this week, the Bible. So it's just sort of shunted off, so we don't even know it. But every week, it is the Bible. It is the most popular book. But it's also the most powerful book. Largely, its popularity is connected to its power. Think of all the lives that God's Word in Scripture how it has changed people's lives. I mean, has radically altered the trajectory of people's lives, how it has impacted and shaped them. I think of my own life. You can think of your life, how, how it is shaped and transformed by the words of these books. And because it is so powerful, the Bible is so precious. Psalm 19, verse 10, says that the words of the Bible are more precious than gold more precious than gold, than the most valuable thing you can imagine are the words of Scripture. And because it is so precious, because it is so powerful, people have risked their lives to get a copy of it, to share it with others. One of those is a man named Patrick, not his real name, but Patrick, you might think of him as sort of a modern-day James Bond, 007, because he travels to foreign countries, he risks his life, he lives this high-stakes life of intrigue, but he's a Bible smuggler. That's what he does, and he goes to, to countries that are restricted, that are hostile to the Christian faith, and he bootlegs contraband Bibles inside suitcases or briefcases. Now, why would he take such huge risks? In large part, for the moment when he gets to hand a Bible to a Christian in one of these restricted countries. Now, you've got to understand, that transaction, that, 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 that transaction, that's a high-risk transaction, not just for him. Actually, he has the lesser of the risks. It's more so for the local person who receives the Bible because they risk imprisonment, they risk persecution, But despite all those risks, when they receive one of those Bibles, when they see it, they are overjoyed. He says how people will literally just clutch this to their chest, how they'll just kiss it when they receive it. They're they're just weeping with joy and gratitude because it is so precious to them. The Bible's not only the most precious or popular or powerful book, It's actually also one of the most ridiculed books, too. Do you know that? I bet you've experienced that, too. Upon learning that you read the Bible, perhaps some of your friends who aren't Christians might say something to you like, do you honestly believe that stuff? The Bible is often despised, denied, disputed, debated. It's been under attack for centuries for almost everything you can imagine. And yet, and yet the Bible is still the most read, the most published, the most translated, the most popular book that people will risk their lives to get a copy of. Now, doesn't that make you wonder why? Why? When you consider how controversial it is, and when you consider how popular the Bible is, I mean, it seems only natural to begin to ask and say, what is it then? Jesus once said this, we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Bread, of course, is important. Material things are important. We need bread. We need drink every day to sustain ourselves. But material things don't satisfy this deeper hunger in us. It's like God has created in us this this hunger for him. And what truly satisfies is the word that comes from the mouth of God. And the primary way God communicates to us to feed that hunger is through his word. So many people often wonder or ask, you know, if, if there is a God, why doesn't he reveal himself to us? But in fact, God has revealed himself to us. I mean, he speaks to us in all sorts of ways. I mean, he speaks to us in, through creation. Don't you often have that awareness, that sense as you, as you watch a sunset and the sky is just painted pink and fuchsia in every color? As you walk through a forest or through a mountain pass and you have a sense of the immensity of something more operative in this world, encountering something bigger than yourself. And the whole world of science, of course, is an exploration of the word God speaks in creation. You know, the amazing fact that there is something rather than nothing, the, the, the design, the order, the fine-tuning of the universe that uniquely supports human life, all of that study, no matter, uh, and many of you are participating in that study, all of that scientific study is, is trying to unpack that word that God speaks in creation. And that's why we as Christians say there's really no conflict between science and faith because they're talking about the word that God speaks. Actually, Einstein, Albert Einstein, in a 1954 essay, talked about this. He said, science without religion is lame, but religion without science is blind. There's a fit, because both are exploring the word of God spoken in different books, creation, but then also the book that God has written. Now, God has most supremely, clearly revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the the best, the clearest expression of God's character, of God's purpose. And we know about Jesus through the word that God speaks in the Bible. The whole Bible, all of Scripture, is pointing to Jesus Christ. The whole Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. And the New Testament unpacks the reality of who Jesus Christ is. So God does speak to us. He does reveal himself in many ways. And the Bible is God's written revelation. The current Pope, Pope Francis, said this. He says, we do not blindly seek God or wait for him to speak to us first. For God has already spoken and there is nothing further that we need to know which has not been revealed to us. So let us receive this sublime treasure of the revealed word. This is it. This is what we claim is God's word. This book, it is the words of God. It is the true story of the whole universe. And in this book, we heard that read. 2 Timothy says, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is God-breathed. Now, of course, there were human authors participating in this. The Bible is a book. It's more accurately a library of books. Actually, our word Bible comes from a word called biblia, which means library. So the Bible is essentially a library of 66 books written over a span of 1,600 years by 40 different authors, authors who came from every station of life, kings, fishermen, uh, statesmen, poets, shepherds, doctors, 
all these human authors. So it's 100% human, 100% human authored, and yet it tells us that it is 100% inspired by God, fully the Word of God. Now, how can that be? Well, think of, think of our re- sanctuary that's being renovated right now. So we're here in this gym because that sanctuary is being renovated. The Knox Sanctuary was built by the architect James Wilson Gray. And the current renovations are being conducted by the architect Jonathan Kearns. Now these architects built at one time and are currently renovating the Knox Sanctuary. But here's the deal. They won't lay a single stone. They won't put a single nail in a two-by-four There's other people doing that work. Stonemasons, carpenters, builders, many people involved. The architects are the inspiration behind it all. It's their vision that is being captured. But it's so many other people who are doing the work, fulfilling that vision, capturing it. And so it is with the Bible. Many different writers, many different genres, one architect, one author, better way to put it, that moved and inspired and has written the story in the one message of the Bible. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that there aren't difficulties, because it is written from cultures very distant from us. It is written in genres we sometimes don't fully get. And to be honest, right, as you read the Bible, there's there's many puzzling things in the Bible. But that doesn't negate that it's from God. In fact, I think it actually more so confirms it. Think of it this way. In the Bible, God's word, if it never challenges you, never confronts you, never runs against or contradicts your opinions, if it only just affirms your views, your opinions, that's probably not the real God speaking. That's probably just an echo of you, an echo of your feelings, an echo of the culture around you. Part of our mis- the, the perplexing, the puzzling nature of the Bible is that it does contradict our culture. It does contradict some of our held beliefs. And no doubt there are texts that are difficult to explain, right? There are cultural pieces that are far removed from us. There's sometimes what feels like apparent contradictions. So how do we hold this all together? The inspiration of the Bible and some of these difficulties we experience. I found that um, working through the the more puzzling pieces of the Bible is is a lot like working through something like a crossword puzzle. So in a crossword puzzle, you know, you're you're figuring out these words and you can get some of these. Um, And then what you do is you work from what is known to what is unknown. That's what scientists do, right? They start with the known and then they move towards the unknown to what you don't understand, to what's not clear. If something's not clear, if you, when you encounter the Bible, if, it, if there's an obstacle, if you don't get it, you don't just toss it and discard it. No, no, you work from what's known, from what's clear, and you move towards what's unknown. And Christians read the Bible with Jesus as the interpretive key, the center that makes sense of it all. And it helps us to understand some of these difficult parts. Belief in Jesus leads us to believe that Jesus is God's word. This is how Jesus himself understood it. And, this, um, and, and because of that belief, we, 
we understand, yes, the, e- even the difficult parts, the challenging parts, I don't get them, but somehow they are God's word to us. We start again with what's clear. The gospel reveals to us Jesus, the Son of God, Almighty Lord. And if there's anything about Jesus and his teachings is that he clearly believed the Bible. His Old Testament at that time was God's word. And so when we get stuck, when we're puzzling, we don't dismiss it all. We affirm what's clear, what's known, the Lordship of Christ, and then we work to understand the unclear, all those parts that trouble us, that offend us. And, and again, Jesus is the interpretive key. He's the center. And if our reading or our interpretation doesn't fit with Jesus, doesn't fit with his teachings, doesn't fit with who he is, his ministry, then our understanding of the Bible is off because he's the center. He's the one that makes sense and meaning of it. And because the Bible is God's word, it is our authoritative guide. Paul, in that passage from 2 Timothy, begins saying, all scripture is God-breathed. But then he goes on and he says, it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness, in right living, in godly living. Because God is its author, scripture has authority. There's a connection there. It's an authority for what we believe. It's an authority for how we live our lives. Again, the Bible is this clear revelation of God. It is a revelation of of God's will for our lives. It's filled with, with practical wisdom, guidelines for a flourishing life. Jesus summed it up this way. When someone asked him, he says, the law and the prophets are summed up this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This book, this life it offers to us is a life of love. It is a life of God's love for us, our love for the surrounding world. And it's like God gives us this amazing world. And, and, and he gives us instructions and guidance for how we might flourish and come alive and fully in, embrace and enjoy that life he's given to us. And I know our culture, it, it, it's allergic to people telling them how to live their lives, to what you might call rules. But God's word brings us life, sometimes in the form of rules, of commandments. But God doesn't say these things as killjoys, right? God does not say, do not murder as a way to ruin your fun and your freedom. You know, as if, you know, a better world could be had if I could just off someone, you know, if they get in my way. God does not say, do not commit adultery because he's the cosmic killjoy. No. He doesn't want us to hurt, to damage ourselves. He wants us to flourish and come alive. There is nothing given in this book that is not given out of love for you and I so that we might know and enjoy the full life God has for us. So it's a powerful revelation of God. And it's something in which God still speaks to us. It is not a book that is 1,600 years old, an archaic voice. The, The voice of God, the word of God is alive and powerful. It convicts, it encourages, it provides meaning and hope for our lives. God meets us continually and speaks to us in the Bible through the power of the Spirit. It's living. It's interesting, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews quotes texts from the Old Testament 
And, and he constantly introduces those quotes with the phrase, as the Holy Spirit says. Not as the Holy Spirit said, a long time ago, past tense. But as the Holy Spirit says, present tense, right now. For instance, one example, the other quotes Psalm 95 and then introduces the quote. The Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The Word of God is not something when spoken or written, you know, that it's dated, it's stuck back there. It, it, it continues to speak and reverberate. It's got power today. How many of us can tell of times when, when we've been reading the Bible and, and it, We've come across a line or a sentence or a phrase and the words just are like electric. It's like God's speaking to us. That's what's supposed to happen. The living Jesus chooses to meet us in his written word. It's sort of like, like God Skyping in his presence as we encounter God in the written word. His word is, as the writer of Hebrews says, living and active. He is the living word and he still speaks this word. And so we read it, we study it, we meditate on it to encounter Jesus Christ. The whole point of the Bible, as we said, Jesus as the interpretive key, he is the point of it, the center of it. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ that the Bible is written for and introduces us to. Some people have described the Bible as a, as a love letter from God. Now think of how you read a love letter. 30 years ago, when Betty and I were preparing to get married, we were, uh, for a period of time, about six, eight months, we were separated. We were in two different cities. So we write, wrote a lot of love letters back then. Um, I know, I know that was back in the dark ages, the pre-internet age, where we, there wasn't a thing called internet or email, and so we had to actually post something and send it in the mail. I don't know what couples do right now. What do they do? You know, Instagram, some heart emojis or something like that? Is that what it happens? Or... Brandon, what are you doing? You're getting married. What sort of love letter are you writing your wife? <laughs> but we wrote, back in the day, we wrote these love letters. And when you get one of those in the mail, um, your approach to that is not, you know, the very detached, academic, studious sort of thing. Uh, no, you'd rip that thing open and, and you'd just savor it. You'd treasure it. And not because of the fine paper or the lovely penmanship, but because of the person who wrote it. Because of the love that was expressed. And it's the same with Scripture. Can we approach this book as this love letter from God to you, to me? The book in itself really is nothing. It's ink, it's pages. But it's because of the author. Because of what the author is speaking to us. That he wants us to be in relationship. The God of the universe it's calling us into relationship. John 20, verse 31, it talks about the very purpose for this book, where it says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life. The purpose is so that we might know God in Jesus Christ, that we might have life, God's life. The whole point of the Bible is written so that we might enjoy this communion with Jesus. And again, that shapes how we read this book, doesn't it? We read to, to listen, to hear the voice of God. We read it to encounter the life of Jesus, the life that he offers each one of us. 
Now, we can get mixed up when we try to read the Bible. You know, we can read it impersonally. We can read it as some sort of text in an academic fashion. That's what happened to a group of religious people in Jesus' day and age. They were called the Pharisees. And, and they, it says, diligently studied the Bible. But they missed the whole point of it. Again, listen to the words of Jesus when he confronts them about it. He said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It's, when we read scripture that way, it's, I guess it's a little like reading a car manual. I have a lovely Volkswagen Golf. Nice car, nice car manual too. Let's say I really love my car, and I start to study the car manual. You know, I just... What a great book of this. I take a highlighter, highlight these great passages. You know, here's nice about the air conditioning and about tire pressure. And then I learn some of these sections by heart, by memory. I memorize them and I start cutting out pieces. And then I attach them, you know, put them up throughout my house because I really want to remember these passages from the manual. And maybe there's other people who have a Volkswagen Golf and they really love them too. And so we gather in study groups and we talk about our love for this manual. And it's Volkswagen, it's German. And so some of us say, let's learn this manual in the original languages, right? Let's study it. But that's not the purpose of the manual, is it? The purpose of the manual is to free you to drive the car, to know all the parts and things, but more so so you drive the car so you enjoy it. And the purpose of this is, yes, we want to diligently study it, but it is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. It is to have faith in Jesus. The Pharisees treated the text, the Bible, like it somehow possessed the qualities of God itself. And they didn't realize that it pointed to the person of Jesus. They were studying in such close detail, they missed the big picture. They refused to interpret the Bible in light of Jesus. If our Bible study, if our reading of Scripture doesn't lead us to think about, talk about, live more like Jesus, somehow we're doing it wrong. All of the reading is to encounter the living Christ. Do you want to know Jesus Christ? Do you want to have faith? Get into this book. Read the written voice of God so that you might believe. So how would you go about it, doing that? You got to give it time. I mean, you you need to actually carve out time in your day to read it, to listen for what God is speaking. You you can't simply, we're never going to get around that reality that we need to carve out time in our schedules simply to read Scripture. And I I am convinced this is one of the biggest challenges. I feel it. I know you do. We are so distracted, aren't we? There's so many things that pull our attention away from God. Listen to this um, stat. During our average 12 waking hours, 23 words every second, every single second, 23 words grab for our attention through all the different media that we encounter. Every single waking day, we engage the equivalent of two complete books, two books, 550 pages. But how many pages of God's Word do we engage with, do we read, do we interact with? Here's the stark challenge. We can can decide to pick up 
and read scripture, or we can check Twitter, or we can check Facebook and like a whole bunch of stuff. I'm speaking to all of us followers of Jesus. Why have we allowed ourselves to become so distracted? Will we give our attention to this living word of God? Carve out the time every day to read. Make a plan, really. Make a plan because unless you do, unless you plan out the time, the place, can I tell you, it's not going to happen. Just won't. So get into your schedule. And as you do start to read, start with a prayer. Remember, God is speaking to you. So simply a prayer something like this. God, I believe you're here. I know you wish to speak with me. Open my heart to hear what you have to say to me. And then as you read it, engage with it. Engage your heart, your mind. Uh, there's a series of questions that, that I'll, I'll try to use as I uh, read through Scripture that I just sort of keep. I actually have list them in my Bible at the front so that I can go to them. And, and it's like, how can I praise God? Is, this, is there anything in this passage by which I can praise God for, expand my love and adoration? Is there any command here for me that I need to obey? I may not be obeying, but maybe I got to. For instance, is there error for me in my life that I need to avoid? Is there sin I need to confess? Is there a promise here that I can claim, that I can sort of drive a stake in my life on? And then, as you engage with Scripture, it's, it's an interesting meditation exercise to think about this. If I believe this, if I hold this to be true, how would this change my life? If this is true... What, what wrong behavior, what harmful emotions, what false attitudes result in me because I forget it, because I don't remember it? What should I be aspiring to on the basis of what I'm hearing from God? Or simply this, God, what are you saying to me today through this word? What are you speaking to me? Engage with God's word. And here's the wonder of this. In our information age, where we are just inundated with information, with internet hot air and all sorts of bluster and opinions, God's word is life. It's a, it's a word that creates life. It's a word that shapes life. It's a word that heals life. It's a word that remakes life. I read one blogger this week. Ann Voskamp, she said this, so let the hip and the cool laugh, let the cynics and the sophisticated dismiss it, and let heaven and earth and all things popular pass away, but know this, if you stand on the word of God, you'll be standing when no one understands why everything else is falling. This book, precious, popular, so powerful. Do you think God is trying to speak to you today? Maybe the better question is, will you let him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this, this precious book. And it's less so the book, God, but it's, it's your word, it's your voice that speaks, that communicates life hope. God, we are so grateful for the gift of it. Forgive us for, for treating it as, 
as something that we can take or leave, for letting it gather dust on shelves, for not engaging it. God, forgive us this, this word that brings life to us. God, would you renew in us a profound commitment to listen deeply and well to your word? to engage with it thoroughly, to allow it to contradict us, to challenge us in all areas of our life. God, speak. Your people listen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.